0: Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help you bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and just figure out life. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult services, or at our general services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you enjoy. All right, do me a favor. If you have a Bible, grab your Bible. Go with me. Romans chapter uh, 2. Now, we are we're taking like 32 weeks going through, taking like an excursion through the book of Romans, right? So we're taking a very long time, more than half a year, and there is 430 verses in the book of Romans, and we're going to spend uh, over, like, yeah, 32 weeks going through each and every single verse to see kind of what Paul is talking about in this in this work. Now, why are we taking 32 weeks? Like, why are we going through this verse by verse for so long? Well, by many kind of theologians and people who study scripture, the book of Romans is considered Paul's most important and his greatest work. In it, he details the theological storyline of God. We've learned words like in week one and two of this, and we're in week five, by the way, uh, like euangelion. It's the Greek word for evangelicalism. And it's the idea of where we get the word gospel, euangelion, Jesus' euangelion, his story of good news, right? And so in it, in the book of Romans, Paul works hard to teach us what is the good news, what's the bad news, so that we can appreciate the good news of the message of Jesus Christ. There's also more in it though. Um, Like I said, he kind of contains, uh, I've said this uh, in I think week one or two, there are only three books of the Bible that you could read and you can get the entire storyline of God. You could read Genesis, you could read Romans and you could read Revelation and that would be enough for you to know all about what you need to know about so you could place your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, and the last thing about the book of Romans that you need to know about is that in the book of Romans, the theme of it is the righteousness of God. What is that? It's like a churchy term. It means how you and I, regardless of your past, regardless of your sin list is longer than a CVS receipt, regardless of what you've done and where your skeletons and your closet are, how you can get right with a perfect and holy God. That's what makes the book of Romans such incredible news for people like you and people like me, how you and I can get right with God. Now, before we hop into where we're going today, here's the question I want you guys to turn and discuss, all right? The question is this, what was something that got you nervous recently, all right? It could be a, a text message, an email. Um, maybe you didn't get into that class at that college that you're going to right now, whatever it was. What's something that got, got you nervous recently, and it got you stirred up a little bit, all right? I'm going to give you guys a minute, turn to discuss with the people at your tables or couch. Ready, set, go. All right, bring it up, bring it up, bring it on up. All right. Something that got you a little bit nervous. All right, for me, uh, a few days ago, um, I, uh, I got a notification that my mail was here because I have like a, anyways, it's a box that lets me know when my mail is here. And uh, it said, like, you've got mail. And uh, so I went over to uh, my mailbox, grabbed it, and uh, I saw a notice and it said, Internal Revenue Service. And my heart started, man, my palms sweating, knees week, weak, arms were heavy, you know? And uh, that was an M&M joke. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so my heart starts like pounding, you know, like, oh, dude, I, I messed up on my taxes. Like, I pay a guy a fortune to do my taxes, but maybe he did something wrong, right? And so now I have to go pay like the IRS, like, you know, my daughter, Noelle, or whatever, right? So I'm freaking out, right? Like, oh, maybe there's like some child thing that I didn't do right, whatever, right? And uh, even though I had her in, not this last year, anyway, uh, so I'm like freaking out, right? And so I open it up, and it says what I thought it was going to say. I owe, I owe the government like $2,500. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, th- there's no way. Or, like, I pay my taxes. I paid this guy to like be an auditor and examine my taxes and things like that. This can't be, right? So my wife's on the phone. If you ever called the IRS, it is way worse than the DMV, right? It looks like the DMV, like they've got it going on, right? And so thank God they're hiring 87,000 new. Anyways, uh, um, and so uh, she's on the phone for like three days, right? She, she calls, oh, sorry, we can't take your call today. The oh, next day and the next day, and finally they're like, oh yeah, we, we somehow like messed up on the social security uh, of, your, uh, of your husband. And so it looks like you guys owe taxes, but you don't. And you've been paying throughout the year, yada, 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 yada. And so I was like, thank the Lord, right? So I, I came across an interesting stat. It said that one in four... So 25% of Americans are terrified of the IRS and they get nightmares every April, which I think is like hilarious. Like I just think it's like, like waking up, they're like all freaking out. They're like, I don't know, like an IRS agent with a gun is out there. I don't know what they think, right? But I thought it was kind of funny. And the, the, the fear is, right, the nightmare is that someone from the IRS is gonna come and examine their life and gonna audit it and find that their life is found wanting, right? That their taxes weren't done right and now they're gonna owe a large percentage of something to the IRS. You know, in Romans chapter two, Paul almost kind of works like an IRS auditor. No, not with taxes and money, but rather, let's say, a spiritual auditor looking at the lives of those that profess faith in Christ but don't have the possession of faith in Christ. And he's looking and he's he's examining their lives. Does the proclamation of you saying, I follow Jesus Christ, match itself up in the practice of your life? And if it doesn't, then there's going to be an issue. I'm going to audit it, and it's going to be found wanting. And that's what he works hard to do in Romans chapter 2. And um, he's looking for people to give lip service to God, but their lives don't really emulate, look, they look like they follow God, right? In the book of Matthew chapter five, verse, uh, verse 19, it says, for these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But you can see there's a disconnect, right? Between the way I identify as and I really am. I say I am a follower of Jesus Christ, but I live like I am not. My life doesn't look any different than any other 19 to 25 year old. If, and that would be a disconnect between profession and, and possession, between profession and practice. And he's, he's spending time in Romans chapter two, illuminating that and saying, no, they need to be connected. If you think you have real saving faith, your profession must tether itself to practice. And so that's what we're gonna spend t- some time talking today. And so I'm not really giving a sermon. I'm more just giving like an exegetical kind of like Biola teaching to this. And then I'm gonna get you guys in groups. When you guys walked in, you should have been given a piece of paper where you guys are gonna kind of go through this and develop the sermon on your own, right? And so there are four types of uh, people That Paul describes in the book of Romans chapter 4 who don't have real faith. Um, If you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about this. The very first type of person is this, the evil, the sinful, the wicked person. This is a person who doesn't just do what is wrong, but celebrates what's wrong. Um, They're somebody that that encourages other people to do wrong. If you go to Romans chapters 1 verse 32, it says this, though they know God's righteous decree... Those who practice such things deserve to die, deserve to be separate from God. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. In other words, I think we could agree that we live in a society now that celebrates immorality. If uh, you, you, go, you go 50 years into the past, you would realize that the world then was very different than the world today. Their thoughts and, uh, for example, divorce was different then than it is today. Uh, definitions of marriage, definitions of gender, sexuality, promiscuity, all these different things were different just 50, 40, 30 years ago than they were in our today, Right? And so we live in a society now that's encouraging people to do that, which is wrong. Number two is the good person, right? They're not someone that, they're someone that uh, has believed the lie um, that because they're, quote, good, they're going to heaven. You heard Tim, uh, Reverend Tim over here, he talked about this last week, right? From Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Uh, these people are moral in the sense they're not murdering anybody, right? They're not like, you know, committing genocide or something like that. And on the outside, they probably look like a good person. Um, and so because they do right, they think that they are right with God. This person probably goes to church and uh, on the outside looks like they've kind of like got their life together. But on the inward side, they are judgmental, bitter, and believe God's impressed by their moralism. See, they have convinced themselves that their moral formation equals spiritual formation. That's actually a theme that we're going to be studying for the next handful of weeks. But their moral formation, because they do right, they think that they are right with God. God is not primarily interested in your morality. He's interested in your heart, and if you give it to him, eventually your morality, what you do with your life, is an outflow, a manifestation of the proclamation that you've made to truly follow Jesus Christ. Finally, number three is the person who hasn't heard of Jesus. Uh, We'll read in Romans chapter 2, verse 12. It says this. Follow with me if you have your Bibles. Um, By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. When you walked in today, there was like a table. Grab one of those Bibles or grab your phone. Romans chapter two, I'm in the ESV, verse 12. It says this, for all who have sinned, I want you to highlight without the law will also perish without the law. So these are people that have without the law. In other words, these are people who don't have a Bible. Not like they live in America and they don't have, like, a Bible next to their nightstand. No, these are people who have never heard the gospel. They've never heard Jesus' name. They have never uh, 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 grabbed the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, whatever it may be. And the point here is that God judges them not on what they don't know, but what they do know. So people have always asked, right, like, what happens about, like, the innocent native that lives in, like, Africa, the truth is there is no innocent native that lives in Africa. The Bible says that all people are left without an excuse. We talked about this in week one or two of this Romans chapters 1 through 25. It talks about this. Let me give you maybe a few uh, 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 reminders of what we talked about. We said that God revealed himself through this thing called general revelation. Let me do a recap to teach you what that was. We learned that God primarily has revealed and shown himself through general revelation in two ways. There's the external revelation. God created the world around us. I told you that the cosmos beg for a creator. There are 312 cosmological constants that need to be perfectly fine-tuned for life to exist. Uh, uh, Gravity, um, the expansion rate of the universe, there's so much that needed to be perfect for life to exist, not just intelligent life like you and me. Abiogenesis, we talked about that, which is that how could something that was organic non-organic and dead, like a rock, become something like you and I today? Right The cosmos beg for a creator, and the more and more in which you study science you 'll see that. Uh, we could do the Cambrian explosion five hundred and fifty million years ago. If you look into the fossil record you 'll see that out of a biological blink, all these different types of animal structures came into existence that 's not how evolution works right? So there's holes in, in that logic as well. And so co- the cosmos begged for a creator. The external revelation, the external creation around us is designed to connect us to the creator of us. And then we talked about this thing called this internal revelation that God implanted within you and me, a conscious. That's very different than apes. Apes don't wrestle with, should we kill this or not, Right? But people do. We wrestle because we, are, we, we wrestle with metaphysical and epistemological type of questions. We are moral creatures because God himself created us in his image, and he himself is a moral being, right? And then the next one, the next one is the religious person. And we learn about this person in Romans chapter 2, verse 13. Now, uh, this is a type of person that goes to church, maybe grew up in church, Um, Mom and dad are probably Christians. Maybe you go to a Christian college. You grew up going to a Christian school. Uh, You've taken communion. You've gotten baptized. And you know some things about theology, theos, God, study of God. But you've never actually entered into a relationship with God, only religious rituals, right? And I'll be honest with you, this is by far the most dangerous type of person to be. The person who believes they have a relationship with God, but will die to find out that they don't. See, follow with me in Romans 2, uh, 13. It says this, We learned a little about who probably this person is. For it's not the hearers of the law, it's not the people that sit in churches and hear pastors preach, not the hearers of the law who are righteous. What's that word mean? To be right with who? With God, before God. But the doers of the law who are justified is a legal term. It means to be made right, to to be made whole, to be justified. And today, this is the person we're going to spend most of our time talking about, someone who is a hearer but not a doer. Someone who knows a lot about God, but just doesn't actually know God. They may be able to quote scripture, they may be able, to, they, they probably know the Bible better than I do, but the truth is they don't actually have a relationship with God. And in every sense of the way, when I think about this person, these were the Pharisees during Jesus' time. Now, if you guys don't know much about the Bible, these there's a group of people called the Pharisees. They were like the pastors in the ancient world of really large churches, I guess we'll say, right? They were the religious rulers during Jesus' time, and they helped influence Judaism, where it was going, and certain things that they were teaching. Now, the most interesting thing about the Pharisees is they were people who claimed to know God. In fact, they would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, It's it's called the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. They would have most likely been able to quote them from memory. That's hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of verses, right? That's pretty impressive. But when God himself shows up as a human being incarnate in Jesus Christ, they didn't even recognize him, right? He comes and he knocks on their temple, on their door, and they did not just recognize him, they hated him. What this means is being religious doesn't always mean you have a relationship with God. Being religious doesn't always mean you have a relationship with God. In other words, you can be doing all of the right things and still become the wrong person. It's all a matter of, have you given your heart over to Jesus? Are you developing a relationship with him? And so in chapter 2, Paul works hard to say, look, if you're a Jew, if you're a Christian, if you're a Mormon or you're Jehovah Witnesses, if you have an Islamic background, whatever it may be, we're all in the same category. Right? We're all in the same category. We are not mistakers who need a second chance. We're sinners who need a savior. That's the category he lumps all people into. I want you to follow with me. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 um, through 15. It says this. If I can find it. For when Gentiles, again, Gentiles, non Jewish people, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, highlight that, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Paul is saying, look, like the Jews for centuries prided themselves on on being able to do good things, helping graham's cross the street whatever it may be, right? They prided themselves that they could do some good things. And Paul's saying, look, because you can do good things, doesn't necessarily separate you from other people, from the crowd, right? Even people who don't have a relationship with God, don't know God, can do good things. Of course they can, right? In fact, I know some people who are atheists who live pretty moral and quote, good lives, right? When I was, and and they know what's good. When I was uh, five, there's a 99 cent store right over here, and uh, I went, into this 99 cents store with my mom. And uh, I saw a candy bar that I really liked and I knew that my mom wasn't gonna give it to me so I just put it in my pocket. And uh, I walked out of the store and the second I got home, I was like, I'm going to hell. Like I just felt like I'm a terrible human being. You know, like, And I mean, you know, like you know, it's just the feeling. It's just like it's just in my gut. You know, like I was like it was like so when growing up, like one of my least favorite things was popcorn reading. And you know that feeling in your gut was like, you know, like you don't know where you're at. You you're gonna feel like an idiot, right? It was like I just felt terrible. This thing in my gut, and I was like, and for like a whole week, I just felt terrible about this. Like I couldn't, like I wouldn't eat my broccoli. Of course, I wouldn't eat my broccoli. I wouldn't eat my chicken nuggets. I wouldn't eat anything, right? I was just like wrecked with guilt and shame that I would commit this atrocity and crime, right? I felt like I was I was like Hitler, right? I was terrible, right? And so like one week later, my grandma takes me back to the 99 cent store and I was so guilt ridden that I put 75 cents on an empty register where no one was looking so that I could just like amend the wrong and deep tragedy, right, right, that I've done, right? Now, did I know in that moment as a five-year-old that I was breaking Exodus chapter 20, verse 15? Did I know? I was like, you know what? I feel a deviation. I have broken the eighth commandment. Like, no, I didn't know that, right? But there was something intrinsic within inside me that knew I, what I did was wrong and I needed to make that Right. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he says in Romans 2.15. They show that the work of the law is written where? On their hearts. While their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuses or even excuses them. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, it's a summary of the book of Jeremiah. It was written hundreds of years before this. This is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts. I will write it on their minds. See, there is an imprint of God's expectations on the heart of all people. And the truth is we can suppress it like many of us do, but all humankind is created in the image of God. And what this means is all of us have been getting the shadow of God's character. And so it's natural, right, that we have a basic understanding of of right and wrong because we are created in the image of an ultimate law giver, that person being God. I mean, it's just like how, you know, kids have similar characteristics as their mom and dad. And since they were created by mom and dad and they come from them, it would make sense that they carry similar characteristics, whether for good or, or, or bad, right? So it could be uh, they have family of origin issues. Mom and dad were alcoholics, so guess what I'm going to be? Most likely, I'm going to be predisposed to be an alcoholic. Mom and dad grew, uh, uh, were divorced, so I'm most likely going to be predisposed to be divorced. But that doesn't always have to be your story. Like, my parents were alcoholics, but I decided to break that generational family of origin curse, Right? Now, the other thing could be happening, maybe you come from strong, uh, a strong uh, family and a family of faith and Christian-centered values or whatever it is, on and on and on, right? They look similar to their, uh, their parents. The characteristics are written on them, I guess you could say. Verse 16, it continues and says this. And on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges, I want you to highlight secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Paul's argument is this, right? That there's gonna be a day that's coming that God will judge the secrets of everyone everywhere and all that is hidden will eventually be revealed. Jesus actually talks about this in the book of Luke, chapter 12, verse three, it says this. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear behind closed doors will be proclaimed from the housetops. The idea is this, every website you've ever visited, every text or Snapchat that you've ever sent, every evil thought that's ever crossed your mind will be laid bare before God. Not like an archeological dig in which he's gonna have to go find for it, but like on an iPad where you can just go, oh, you did that. What do you gotta say for yourself? And you're like, duh. And, like, and like, you sent this Snapchat, whatever it is, right? In fact, in the book of Hebrews chapter four, verse 13, it says this, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. His point in doing all this is saying, all right, do, do you still look good? Do you think you have a perfect rap now? Do you think you are perfect? Or do you see your need for a savior now? See, there were some people back during Paul's and Jesus' time that believed that because they were Jews and they possessed the Old Testament, God gave them the 39 books of the Old Testament, and that they knew God's truth, that they wouldn't be judged. That for somehow, because God cared about them and God gave them a book, that for some reason that they weren't going to be judged, which is super silly. It's like telling a police officer who pulled you over, don't give me a speeding ticket because I knew. I was breaking the law, I knew I was going 10 or 15 miles per hour over the law. Therefore, don't give me a speeding ticket. No, no, no. Knowing the law should make you that much more guilty for breaking it. And that's his point. Follow with me in a larger section, verses 17 through 24. It says this, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, remember the Jewish people were super proud. They were super racist. We learned about that in week one. They looked at the rest of the world like heathens that you were beneath us. And so they believed that like they were intrinsically special. And know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. In other words, like God gave you a book and you know what's right and wrong. And if you are sure that you or yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the fullest, a teacher of children, having the law and the embodiment of knowledge and truth, 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you not commit adultery? You who arbor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, for it is written, the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. There's tons here, but just for the sake of time, because I want to give you more time in your groups today, it's this. Knowledge doesn't always lead to Transformation. And if it doesn't lead to transformation, it's useless. We have boiled down Christianity to to barely two things, my church attendance and how much I know. That somehow the acquisition of knowledge, if I can memorize scripture, if I can know some big fancy theological words and terms, then I feel like I'm really close to God. In fact, I hear this all the time from people and they say, I'm not fed. And what they mean is, I don't know bigger words. You didn't teach me how to memorize scripture better. That's not Christianity. Have you surrendered and given your heart to Jesus? That's the epicenter of the message. Have you laid down your life and said, I give you all that I am for all that you are. Use me as you will. That's not, I know every theological term now. Christianity is so much more than the acquisition of knowledge. Knowledge and information doesn't always lead to transformation. And if it doesn't lead to transformation, it's useless. So his point here is knowing what Jesus says and doing what Jesus says are entirely two different things. Which brings us to a point of the sermon where I'm probably going to make no friends, but it's my favorite part of the sermon, and so here we go. You know, as, a, as an American, I think we're in the same condition as the Jews back in the time of Paul's culture and, and day. I mean, just replace Jew with average American in some of these verses, because your average American says they believe in Jesus. See, from the very conception of our country, the message of Jesus has really been its anchor. To go to any old town, you'll see the biggest and tallest building of that town is what? It's a church normally, and a high steeple, so that, and it was done purposely so that people would look up and towards God daily. Then from the earliest moments, right, of our schooling, we placed our hands over our hearts, and we pledged that we'd be one nation under God. And then with those very same hands, daily we exchanged currency that said, in God, we trust. But if you look at our society today, God's nowhere to be found in the attitudes, intellects, politics, and morality of our culture. So the question we have to ask is, what happened? What happened? Well, for years, our elected officials have been telling God to get out get out of our schools, get out of our government, get out of our private and personal lives. And so we did, like a gentleman. And no wonder, on the exact same time, around 1970 and onward, we've experienced higher levels of anxiety, depression, suicide, and school shootings than any other time in our country's history. At the very same time, we started unanchoring ourselves from the values in which we originally built ourselves on. Now, how did that happen? How do we begin the process of unearthing and unanchoring ourselves from our Christian roots and values? Because Jesus, over the last 30 or maybe even 50 years... Had a lot of fans in America, but not any really real followers in America. I mean, we like him like a Facebook post, and we follow him like we do an Instagram, like Instagram account, right? But the practice doesn't actually match the profession. Let me give you an example. We say that we trust Jesus, but when was the last time you trusted him with something? If you really look at the faith of many people, let's say like an auditor would through a fine-tube comb, right? you would see that there are many church-going people who say they trust Jesus, but the auditor would f- quickly find out that they're only trusting Jesus with things that they cannot control. So by default, they give him to God. Heaven, sickness, I see this at funerals often, death. We trust God with things that we cannot control. But however, the auditor would also see that we wouldn't demonstrate any active trust with some things that we can't control. Your money, your relationships, who God says you should and you shouldn't date who you shouldn't marry, your jobs, your friends, your future? Does it show any faith if we trust God with things that we have absolutely no control over? Or does it show more faith if we trust God with things that we do have control over, that I have the ability to alter in some sense of the way? Obviously, with the things I have control over. So here's the question. Does your life emulate that you trust God? And if so, what was the last thing you trusted him with that was really in your control? See, if the profession of faith doesn't match the practice of faith, chances are you're holding on to some religious experience or ritual of coming to church without actually ever knowing God. Because if you knew God, you would trust God and your life would emulate that change. You know, I think that, like, infant baptisms practiced in the Catholic Church, and I think probably the sinner's prayer, has probably sent more people to hell than any two things in human history. Because In that moment, they think they're making a profession. I am actually following Jesus Christ. And they think somehow that baptism is the thing that saves them, or they think that it was the profession of faith that I said this prayer one time, but there was no actual change in my life. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The profession and practice showed that there was no possession and occupation of faith. Therefore, they had no faith that really saved them. That's kind of Paul's point. He goes on in verse 25, and he teaches us this, follow with me. He says, for circumcision, I know you're super hyped. I talk about circumcision tonight. Indeed is a value, and it continues, if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. What, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to teach you the history of circumcision in a, in a second, but here's what Paul wants us to know. He's saying external signs make sense if you have an internal reality. Here's what this means. The cross necklace and the tattoo and the Bible verses that people get tattooed in their body don't mean anything if they're attached to a soul that has not been given over to Jesus. They have no meaning and they have no saving power. Years ago, I, uh, I had a student come up to me and said, do you want to get baptized? I was stoked. I like baptizing uh, people. And so um, I said, well, hey, tell me, we do a class. And I said, hey, tell me, it was actually in this room. Uh, hey, tell me why you want to get baptized. He said, oh, well, my, my parents are forcing me to get baptized. And I was like, okay, okay. Uh, thank you so much for your honesty, I'm going to sit down and talk to your parents. So I sat down in my office with mom and dad, and I said, hey, tell me about, uh, you know, your, your son wants to get baptized. Um, he told me that you guys want him to get baptized. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, he's not really a believer, He doesn't believe in us, but he, like, he really wants to get baptized. And I said, like, so, like, you might as well just go, like, dunk him in, like, a jacuzzi or something. You might as well cannonball into a pool, right? Because, like, what are we doing here? Like, baptism is, has no significance if it isn't met with the proclamation of real faith, right? It's an outward expression of an inward reality, it's being made new in Christ. And if you aren't made new in Christ, you might as well just go hop in a jacuzzi because nothing has changed. There's no difference. And the same was with circumcision back in, in, in the ancient world. And so for Judaism, on the eighth day, every a male that was born was to be circumcised as a commitment to God. And so the ritual of circumcision was designed to point to the reality of following God as one of his people, the Jews. But if it wasn't met with the inward reality, it was pointless. It, it didn't have no significance. If the parents weren't going to raise their child up in a way of knowing Yahweh it had no real significance and purpose. Follow with me in verse 26, 27. It says this. So a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not as uncircumcised be guarded as circumcision. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have written code and circumcised but break, or circumcision but break the law. So like I said, right? The idea is the ritual means nothing without the reality that gives it purpose. See, the Jews thought that all God cared about was their moralism and their religious platitudes, that all God wanted for them was to be a good person to go to church. No, 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 that wasn't what God cared about. God cared about their hearts. God cared about who they were becoming. God cared about developing a relationship with them. I mean, it's kind of like, like, a, like the symbol of like a, a wedding ring. Does my wedding ring make me married? No, it's a symbol of the covenant and proclamation of marriage that I have. It's a symbol of my marriage. But the symbol is only honorable as long as I have the reality of faithfulness. Without the faithfulness, my ring has no meaning. It loses its it's an empty symbol now. And so we may see people, right, like we walk around and there may be some people who are married that you know, which I imagine, or maybe in this room, and you may see that they have a ring on their finger. And you may assume that they're faithful because they have the outward appearance of being faithful, but we don't actually know that, that the outward actually matches the inward. That's what Paul's talking about in the next verse. Our last verses for today before I get you in your group, say this. For no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Circumcision was always designed to show a separation, a desire to be um, connected to God. Verse 29, our last one, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart, but the spirit not by the letter. For his praise is not for man, but of God. There's a billion ways we go for this, but again, I promise that I want to give you more time in your groups today. And so here's just the one simple question I want to end with. Does Jesus have your heart? I didn't ask you come to church. I didn't ask you read your Bible. I didn't ask if you give a percentage of your income uh, to tithe to God. Those are all external things. I asked a question dealing with the internal reality of have you given your life to Jesus? Right? It's not a question of whether you've been baptized, you grew up in church, you joined a life group, you were enrooted, you came to a young adult's ministry on one Sunday night, or you went on a missions trip. It's do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's it. That's what Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 29 is all about. It's not about the religious platitudes, do I go to church? Was I ever baptized? It's do I actually have placed my active trust and faith in Jesus Christ? Do I, do I believe that I am a, more than a mistaker who needs a second chance, that I am a sinner who needs a Savior, and that I have placed my active trust and faith in the only one who I can save? That's what we're going to be talking about in your guys' groups today. And so do me a favor. Put your arm around somebody. I'll pray for you guys, and we'll get you into those groups. Father, today we're thankful. I'm thankful that you are a God that allows us, God, to see Um, the depravity of our human heart, but also, God, the goodness in your grace. So, Father, I ask that you would help us see this book, your book, not as binoculars to point out the sin of others, but a mirror to see our desperate need for you daily. And so, Lord, I ask that as we continue to go through today, I pray that you'd put it on our hearts, Lord God, if we do not have a relationship with you, which is maybe religious platitudes and rituals. Father, that you would place that on our heart, God, um, a burden on our heart, Lord God, to accept and surrender our hearts to you. So, Father, would you speak through these groups? Would you lead us? In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a blessed day.